Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Swords. Wizards. Dragons. Ray Liotta. It's Triple Threat Theater, episode 52. I'm Joe Daxberger. <laughs> and I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy. Yeah. Tonight, I'm going to get medieval on your ass. <laughs> we certainly are. Dungeons and Dragons from 2000. Oof. Aragorn from 2006. Oof. And this mouthful, In the Name of the King, a Dungeon Siege Tale from 2007. <laughs> yes. What have I done to us? <laughs> Uh, well, funny you should say that. I think after movie number two, I said, who is to blame for this? <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was me or you. You can't see me, but I'm raising my hand. <laughs> <laughs> we had this as down as number 92 when it got picked, so we were, you know, firing all cylinders, rattling off episode ideas. Yeah, sometimes I come up with these ideas and they're questionable, but, you know. You know, hey, them probably makes for at least halfway decent podcasting. We're going to find <laughs> out. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's fun to watch like three good movies or three movies that you love and talk about how great they are. But I mean, yeah, you got to hit the other end of the spectrum every now I mean, and then. I mean, I did not see any of these movies. So who knows? I could have loved them. Maybe I did. <laughs> yeah, I had never seen any of these either. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, potentially with good reason. Potentially, maybe, maybe not. Uh, we've done a couple of like medievally themed things so far. We did Nighttime, which was three movies with knights mm-hmm. in armor. We had uh, Fire in the Sky, our dragon episode, mm-hmm. which several mul- multiple of these movies would have fit into, honestly. That, True. That category. True. But, uh, you know... I think that's just the way my brain works is it's like, yeah, let's do three movies about dragons. Yeah, let's do three medieval movies. And then like, yeah, but there's these other like garbage ones that nobody would ever want to watch. Like we ought to. Right. Like, wouldn't that be fun to put ourselves through that? Yeah. If anything, it's just funny for like the algorithm people at the streaming service to see like, who the hell? (laughs) Yeah. What was the one? Was it Dungeons and Dragons that wasn't available to stream for free anywhere? So like. Between you and me, the Dungeons <laughs> yes. and Dragons got two rentals like within the right. last three days on Amazon, uh-huh. and someone somewhere is like, "Oh, maybe we should be charging more for this." People want that well, two thousand Dungeons so, and Dragons movie, seriously, because it's like, uh, and that one, it's uh, high def was two ninety nine, and they're usually three ninety nine. So that means Amazon even knew no one's gonna watch <laughs> this shit. Who cares? Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of like. I think I mentioned it when we recently did the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger episode, uh, What Mm -hmm. is Worst in Life? And I talked about how uh, I had had that idea like years ago and of watching like three of Arnold's like lesser movies and like discussing them. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but there's a part of my brain that's just like, yes, 
the watching and reviewing of bad films needs to happen. I, I don't, sure. I don't hundred percent know why. I mean, it's, it's happened before. It's going to continue to happen. I'm sure this isn't like the only time. No, I, I'm sure that there's a couple of more like this. <laughs> I mean, if there's anything we like here, it's grading on a curve. So, <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, okay. So even if you would write off, all three of these films, which, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't reviewed them yet, so who knows no, no. where we'll land, but <laughs> I think we all do know, but, <laughs> you know, we're going to have to buy one of them. Right. And that's going to be, like, the whole thing is going to, the whole episode is going to hinge on that. Like, that's the thing that I'm most curious mm-hmm. to see is which mm-hmm. one of these movies is Joe Daxberger going to buy. <laughs> right. Gun gun, or, uh, you know, sword to my neck. <laughs> yeah. Which one do I purchase? Same. I I could not. I know exactly where I'm rolling with this. Could not tell you for a second what young Ryan Miller is going to pick tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be on pins and needles uh, when we oh, get to boy. that sec- uh, segment of the show. But um... I mean, as I lay waste to all three of these movies, potentially, <laughs> I don't know if anything is going to become completely apparent till the time <laughs> comes for us to rattle off the triple B. Mm-hmm. By Barbara Burn. But yeah, so like I I didn't even really have much of a knowledge base about any of these. Like obviously I know what Dungeons and Dragons is. I began to play the game casually a couple of years ago. But um, you know, even even long before that, I feel like it's kind of ubiquitous that people understand that it's like a role playing game. But also just knew the kind of stigma of that movie being terrible. Mm. I read a factoid that uh, I don't remember what magazine, but some magazine in like 2010 or 2012 did an article about the where people could vote on like the 50 worst movies of all time. And mm-hmm. I forget the number it was like number 34 on that list or something like that. But like I knew that that movie was like pretty much universally panned. Aragon came out in that. Harry Potter's popular, so let's start turning every young adult novel series into uh, a film franchise. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know anything more about it than that, uh, aside from the fact that, you know, since there's only one movie, it must not have been very good, or at least not done very well, because mm-hmm. all of these things, like Hunger Games and everything else, they just, like, crank them out. That's like a money-making machine, or at least it was in, like, the late aughts, early teens right right and then uh yeah i mean dungeon siege Mills, it's uh, full name please <laughs> uh in the name of the king a dungeon siege <laughs> give it the respect it deserves <laughs> mm. Mm. okay so, so we just call it tail <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could have told you that jason statham was in it and it was an uve bowl movie and i mean uve bowl being involved is enough for me to mm-hmm. basically say that I don't need to know any more about it. But here we are. I'm going to say I'm probably like right about the same. I mean, I've always known Dungeons and Dragons was a thing. To this day, I'm not entirely sure even how you play Dungeons and Dragons. Hmm. Like I've never like seen it played. I could probably, I could guess it a few things, but I've never like actually seen a game in play. One of my favorite factoids that I read about any of these movies as I was researching them 
mm. is the lead actor, Justin Whalen in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. To prepare for the role, he sat in on some D&D games and watched how it's played mm-hmm. for like inspiration, mm-hmm. but then quote unquote, realized that it seemed to be mostly about arguing and quote, just put my trust in the script. <laughs> and oh. in like, I imagine not all campaigns are like this, but in my experience, yes, it is all about arguing. <laughs> I mean, sounds like quite the way to spend eight or nine hours on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I pretty much, like, knew things I forgot but remembered as soon as I sat down to watch it. That'll come up. But I kind of feel like I just remembered, like, the overall, I don't know, if like, look of this movie. You know, not seeing it, but just knowing it was a thing and just probably was never any good. Aragon, kind of same thing. I just, I knew it was, like, a, some kind of, like, kid fantasy thing. And I was just like, why is it the same name as the guy from Lord of the Rings? Oh, but it's not. But it's not. But I was just kind of associated to. How long into the movie, or maybe you haven't realized it at this point, <laughs> was it before you realized that Aragon is just dragon with an E instead of a D on the front? God damn it. Just now. <laughs> I was watching it, and at some point I was just like, no, oh, nope. that's what this writer did, is he just said, hmm, dragon, I'll change that first letter by <laughs> oh, one God. in the alphabet. Oh, and man. there's my fantasy name, Aragon. <laughs> wow. Yep. I mean, ooh, I'm going to save everything I want to say right now for the Aragon <laughs> portion of the episode. Fair enough. And then, uh, yeah, good old in the name of the king, a dungeon siege tale. Kind of just same thing. I was like, I knew Jason Statham was with a, in a Swords and Sandals movie. And I think I remember that Uwe Boll was the director and that he's a lunatic that... You know, will beat up uh, movie reviewers if they don't like his movies. <laughs> yeah, in the boxing ring. So, I, which I kind of like actually. If that there's a person Ooh. out there that will, you know. <laughs> but Bart, careful part what of you me say, will, man. We're recording this. I just mean like part of me would always be like, I can't believe we live in a world where there's like a director that will get a bad review and be like, I want to box that person, and then it actually happened. That's if just, it was someone like uh, Steven Spielberg or. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro, who like challenged a, a asshole reviewer to a boxing mm-hmm. match like that, I'd be behind. But Uwe Boll, like not even so much like I'm behind it. Just probably that we live in a world where it's actually a thing and not like a Saturday Night Live skit. It just <clears throat> kind of blows my mind. Yeah. So, well, if you want to know more about that, there's an entire documentary about it called Raging Bowl. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, um, boy. I knew that that existed, but uh, like most things dealing with Uwe Boll, I kind of wanted nothing to do with it, but <laughs> well, I have a feeling you're scribbling a... it down right now to make a trio <laughs> out of it, so. Too late. I got the fastest scribble hand in the West. <laughs> already got a sticky note. But yeah, you want to go ahead and uh, jump into that first oh. movie there? Yes, please. All right. Uh, from the year 2000, we have Dungeons and Dragons. In a faraway world. All people deserve to be free and equal. The child is not fit to govern an empire. The forces of darkness. You can control dragons. With a dragon army at my command, I can crush the emperor. 
Crystal. This has got to be some twisted magic experiment gone seriously wrong. Have threatened to conquer a kingdom. What can I do to stop Profion? If you can obtain the Rod of Savril, you could control red dragons. I suggest we lay low, let the whole thing blow over, come back, rob everybody. There, there's one small problem. Problem? <laughs> I kind of committed us to find it. Let the blood rain from Asgard! pretty generic fantasy plot uh you've got your evil wizard played by jeremy irons who in a kind of jafar from aladdin fashion he like is pretending to be a good guy but he's actually evil and wants to take over like the council or whatever is that what it was sure yeah i'll I'll roll with it (laughs) he's got the most substitute teacher haircut for being an evil wizard. <laughs> he definitely doesn't look like he belongs. Like no. he looks like a normal guy who just had a costume yeah. put on him. Like get that man a robe. He's late for a set. <laughs> yeah. But so like within the actual game of Dungeons and Dragons, there are all different kinds of dragons. I can't tell you all the specifics about them, but I know there's like gold dragons, red dragons, silver dragons, blue dragons, green dragons. There may be others, but those are the ones off the top of my head I know. As a gentleman that partakes in Dungeons and Dragons, how much interaction do you have with dragons and or dungeons in the game? Uh, Plenty of dungeons. Okay. That's pretty regular. My campaign, we have fought one dragon, and it was a pretty weak dragon. Uh, My buddy Chris rolled like crazy good and killed it pretty much with one shot of his bow. Good to know. Okay. (laughs) But so within the, so I don't know if this is like one-to-one with the game logic versus the movie logic, but in the movie, the like, was she Empress? Yeah, Empress Savina, played by young Thora Birch. Mm-hmm. She has like a staff with a, a ruby or a gem in it that she, when she uses it, she can control gold dragons. Mm. And then they portray it in the movie that red dragons are like the most powerful dragons. Again, don't know if that's true in the game, but Jeremy Irons' character wants to be able to control red dragons so he can like take over the city or the world or whatever. And so. That's like his end goal. And then some like a couple of thieves played by Justin Whalen and Marlon Wayans, who feels completely out of place in this movie. It's Marlon Wayans as Marlon Wayans. Yeah. It's like Marlon Wayans from like, uh, don't be a menace to South Central. Yeah, (laughs) Just Uh, completely, completely ridiculous. That was one of the things I was like, I had forgotten about that because I knew from when the movie came out, that was a thing. But I think I like paused it when he first showed up and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> no, no, no. It is this. So, yeah. I, I knew that there was a Wayans in this um, snails. Could, couldn't have told you which one, but essentially it's like the two of them are, who are just like hapless thieves get roped into this quest with a young female mage played by a woman named Zoe McClellan, who I know from nothing, but she was on 63 episodes of JAG. Oh. <laughs> the three of them go off to, like, try and find the staff with the the red dragon stone before Jeremy mm-hmm. Irons can get a hold of it. And there's your, like, your quest. Correct. Pretty Pretty generic story. It is what it is. And then it's just, like... We meet a dwarf, and then we meet an elf, and before you know it, we have like a fellowship on our hands. Yeah. And well, he's so, like yeah. kind of a dwarf, kind of an elf. Yeah, 
you know, in the most basic of ways. So the first Lord of the Rings came out when? Oh, I'd probably be asking you that question. I'm pretty sure the first, the third movie came out while I was in the Kubert school. So the first one must have come out in like 2000. It must have been like 2001, 2, and 3, or 2, 3, and 4. So, like, Lord of the Rings came out right after this movie. And, I mean, it's going to be hard not to compare all of these to Lord of the Rings. I mean, Lord of the Rings is like the cream of the crop Mm -hmm. when it comes to these kind of, like, fantasy adventure elves and dwarves and dragons kind of movies. Correct. But it's just a case of, like... Like, I remember, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Star Wars, the original, came out in 1977. And, like, right after that, I believe the James Bond movie Moonraker came out. And, you know, the part of that movie takes place in outer space with, like, a ship that shoots lasers. And I just remember <laughs> when I saw that, thinking to myself, how could Star Wars look so good? And then, like, a year or two removed, Moonraker can look so shitty. And it's just the same thing here. Like, this movie came out right before Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings, the, a lot of the CG still holds up very well. And this oh, yeah. movie is just hideous. I was completely blown away because this is, this is me just guessing. But in the year 2000, I had no idea that they were um, rendering CGI with PlayStation 1s. Because that's what it looks like in this movie. <laughs> I mean, for comparison, when we did uh, Fire in the Sky, we talked about Dragonheart, and that had a CG dragon that didn't mm-hmm. look the best. But, I mean, it looked better than this, and that was years before this, wasn't yeah. it? This looked, yeah. It had, I would have said that's like a 97 or something. Mm-hmm. These dragons look terrible. They look like they it was from, like, Doom or something. Doom-era graphics. Pretty terrible. <laughs> I mean, some of the worst we've seen... So far, for sure, mm-hmm. on Triple Threat. There's just an overabundance of it, too. Like, it doesn't look good, and they use it so much. Yeah, I mean, the end of the movie, there's like an all-out battle between gold and red dragons just like throughout this city that doesn't exist and was made with CG. And yeah. just like a lot of terrible-looking like laser effects and energy effects and explosions and things and fireballs. And... Mm-hmm. Dragonheart was 96, by the way. Okay, so yeah, like four years before this, and I mean, that movie had one dragon, they probably spent a lot of time on the animation, but looks considerably better based on my right. recollection than the ones in this It does. Do. Oh, it does, for sure. You'd think for like a franchise as well-known and like as long-lasting as Dungeons & Dragons, when they finally made a movie out of it, it would be like something special, like something that they really tried, and mm-hmm. so I read up on the history of how this movie got made. It is fascinating, but considering the um, like the love and devotion that the guy who made this movie had for the franchise, I can't understand how it ended up like this. So this movie was directed by a man named Courtney Solomon, mm-hmm. who this was the first movie he ever directed. He's only directed two movies since, An American Haunting in 2005 and Getaway in 2013 with, I think, Ethan Hawke. Okay. Uh, so this guy was a fan of D&D as a kid. Around the year 1990, when he was 19 years old, he contacted the company TSR, who used to own Dungeons & Dragons, under the guise of working on a school economics project to inquire about, like, the rights to a Dungeons & Dragons film. I don't want to hear that he worked on this for 10 years. Buckle up. (laughs) 
Jesus. <laughs> this, this is a crazy story. So <laughs> he's 19 years old, contacts the company, and over the course of the next like year and a half, he manages to talk them into negotiations for optioning the film to him. He's like 20 at this point, has never made a movie. He's like, what, two years out of high school. Oh. And after like going back and forth with them for so long and writing a 30-page proposal, he gets the option for a Dungeons & Dragons film. Don't ask me how TSR came to make this decision, but I, I get the impression that this guy was just like kind of charismatic and seemed to really give a shit because he was like a fan and yeah. that must have won them over. So then he's got to fund the film uh, because he doesn't have a studio attached. So technically it's an independent movie. So he takes trips all over the world looking to secure funding for like different countries and things ends up in China or I don't know if it was China. He, he ends up meeting an Asian businessman named Alan Zeman who liked the cut of his jib and the two of them formed a company called Sweet Pea Entertainment. Of course. To fund and produce the film. So they continued searching for funding for close to 10 years. At different times, the project was conceived of as a $100 million theatrical release or a $3.5 million direct-to-video film, which seemed to be the way TSR wanted to go for some reason. Thanks. Uh, and then at some point, I forget, uh, some producer came on board. It might have been Joel Silver and wanted to turn it into a television series. So eventually, I believe sometime in the late 90s, TSR sold the game to Wizards of the Coast, which is the company that makes like Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. And Wizards of the Coast wanted nothing to do with the film project. So they tried to squash it, basically claiming like it's been in production for or it's been like in pre-production for so long. Uh, this is never actually going to happen. But because Joel Silver became attached around this point, they were able to attain approximately $35 million of a budget, which for a big movie like this with a lot of CG and stuff isn't a lot, even in the year 2000. Right. But then Courtney Solomon, who only ever wanted to produce the film, he didn't want to direct it but he ended up being forced into directing it by the investors. He hunted around and found that if they filmed the movie in the Czech Republic, <laughs> they'd be able to produce the film for as much as five times less than it would cost anywhere else in the world. And so they filmed in the Czech Republic where they could make a movie on this scale with $35 million. Wow. And that is how the Dungeons and Dragons movie got made. So it really is like a hundred million dollar movie. They just, Cut it in, in check dollars, price. I guess. <laughs> oh, God. But I mean, at different times, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, James Cameron, oh, Rennie Harlan, and Stan Winston were all attached to it. And like I say, the investors essentially insisted that uh, Courtney Solomon directed. I couldn't tell you why, but um, I mean, that tells you kind of a lot that. Yeah, It was made by a first-time director. It was made really cheap, like cutting corners in like another country that gave them like big cost incentives. And mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't have much in the way of big stars because it probably on paper didn't look like a very attractive uh, project. I mean, it's got Jeremy Irons in there who apparently signed on because his kids were a fan or his kids were fans of the game. 
And apparently in real life, Jeremy Irons had just bought a castle and he like made a joke in an interview. Like I just bought a castle. I need to pay for it somehow. So he took the job. Oh, yikes. But like, you know, Thor Birch, American Beauty had been filmed, but hadn't come out yet. So she's kind of a nobody. Uh, Justin Whalen, he had been in Child's Play 3 as Andy. Mm-hmm. And he was he was Jimmy Olsen on the Lois and Clark TV show. Oh, boy. I mean, Marlon Wayans, he'd been involved in stuff like in Living Color, but hadn't become like a biggish name yet. Yeah, was uh, Requiem for a Dream even out yet? He or... was filming that at the same time as this. Oh. Or like right before or right after, but it hadn't come out yet. But then like Scary Movie and like, you know, he's in a Coen Brothers film, The Lady Killers. Like he was in G.I. Joe, like all that stuff came later. Yeah. So this was like probably still like one of the bigger names. On yeah, the thing, honestly, but... like at least people would have known his name. But like Zoe McClellan, like I said, she's mostly known for Jag. Bruce Payne, who played like the uh, Jeremy Irons right hand man, who's like the villain through most of it. With those tentacles that come out of his ears. He, oh, the ear snakes. Oh, man. Yeah, he was in Passenger 57. He was the bad guy in that Wesley Snipes movie. And then he was in Highlander Endgame. But, like, he's not a big name. Like Old blue lips. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently the things in his ears were the Mind Flayer, which is... Uh, oh, from uh, Stranger Things? A thing that I know from Stranger Things, yeah. yeah. And that, uh, what, is it the Beholder? That's like a kind of famous Dungeons and Dragons thing. Yeah, the floaty thing with all the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you do see one of those briefly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they went for it in this one, Milzy. It's just wild. To th- like, there's so many things about that story that I can't understand. Why in the world did TSR give the option for the film rights to Dungeons and Dragons to some, like, 20-year-old kid who had no connection to the film industry at all. Like that, that is mind blowing to me. It's not like he came to them and was like, Hey, I got a bunch of money. Let me buy the rights. Right. I don't know a thing about these people, but just maybe just for the time and all, maybe it's one of those things like that's what enticed him. He wasn't like big Hollywood. He didn't have enough money or didn't have any money. He was just a fan, young kid, passionate. Maybe they thought it would never get made anyway. Who knows? But. Yeah, it's just like if, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, aliens, it'd be like if I called up Disney and bugged them for a year and a half and then they were like, okay, you you can make a movie if you can get the money for it. I mean, it's just, and I mean, I guess, you know, we got to think that this is like late 80s, early 90s and once upon a time being in like nerdy stuff wasn't really popular. So mm-hmm. like D&D, probably not like the hottest commodity outside yeah. of the D&D community back right. then, the way it's it like is now. like a fringe thing. Yeah. But still, I can't understand how, because I mean, there were like Dungeons and Dragons video games. Like uh, we used to have the advanced D&D game for the Intellivision when I was a kid that my dad had. Oh boy. And you know, there was a cartoon, I think before this, that was based on Dungeons and Dragons. It's just that it's wild to me that that's how this movie got made. Yeah, this is crazy. It's a crazy story. Yeah. I mean, I must, I'd almost love to see like a today, you know, uh, interview with this Courtney Solomon guy. Yeah. Like how does it, how just, how does it feel 20 years later? Mm-hmm. You know, how does it, how does that 10 years of your life feel? And yeah, I mean, so there are 
I've never played any of the like pre-written campaign books for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. The campaign that I run, uh, my buddy Adam like makes up the story as our DM as we go. But I mean, I guess the whole thing about Dungeons and Dragons is like, if you can imagine it, you can do it. So out there in the world, there's probably tons of different types of games. There's ones that are like really serious and specific or dark. And then there's probably ones that are just fun and goofy, you know, people like parents play the game with their kids and stuff. And I guess that they wanted this movie to appeal to a younger audience, but it's just so like goofy and, it just feels like it's not doing justice to the source material or something somehow. I mean, w- without knowing anything about anything. Yeah. It just feels, it feels like a big goof. It feels like a movie that has too many like Hollywood hands in the, yeah. you know, in the kitchen, like even just having Marlon Wayans in there as the comedic relief, mm-hmm. like looking like a character that would be in a spoof movie later. Yeah. Like, that just feels, that feels like the crazy, like whoever wrote the script, like where that came in, that that was necessary. Yeah. Like change his costume and then superimpose him into like any modern comedy at the time. And he would have fit right in. Like he, yeah. he, he did not feel like he belonged in this universe in no. the least. No. He just like overacted as the goofball. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of overacting in the whole thing. I mean, Jerry Irons is. A wild man in this one, but <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Irons felt like he was just doing it for a paycheck anyway, so he just like let himself yeah. go. Apparently, Marlon Wayans did like a ton of ad libbing, which the director mm. wasn't a big fan of on set. I mean, it almost feels like they couldn't contain him, like couldn't stop him from doing his typical shtick or something. Like you said, how this movie came about, it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of sets. Like there was money thrown at this movie in the, in the good old Czech Republic. But well, apparently, like there were actual actual locations that they could film a lot of the stuff there, which is another reason why they chose it. Like some actual castles and ruins and things. Mm-hmm. But I mean, by the time you're in like the big climactic battle in the city at the end, like everything is so obviously fake CG. Oh, it's terrible. Just like hideous looking. The climactic fight is ugly brown like doo-doo orange everything (laughs) yeah ugly 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 you know what was surprising to me was when i learned that uh thora birch filmed this after american beauty Mm. because i mean she had a topless scene in american beauty and i know she wasn't quite of age yet she wasn't 18 at the time. Oh. And the reason I know that is because <laughs> I know the trivia that Thora Birch's parents were actually porn stars back in the day. And so they were like very sexually free. And it was like the only way that Thora Birch was allowed to do a topless scene before turning 18 is if her parents were like approved of it and were on set at the time so her former porn star parents were there like watching her do her topless scene for that movie but like she looks super duper young in this yeah i mean i would have said she was 14 in this yeah she reminded me of the uh what was her name the the little princess girl in never-ending story oh the childlike princess i think is what they called her yeah like, that's what she kind of looked like. She looks so young yeah. in this. Super young. 
there's no tone to this movie really like there's never a sense of tension or suspense there's one scene that i like i felt actually had some emotion in it mm-hmm. and that's the part where uh, marlon wayne's character dies it actually had a little bit of intensity to it where he gets like thrown off the uh, the building like his limp body gets thrown off of the castle mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. uh the main character like screams and runs at the bad guy and gets stabbed in the chest. Right. That was the one part of the movie where I was actually like, okay, something about this is working. Like I could feel the emotion. Mm -hmm. It's fleeting. Oh yeah. But for the majority of the movie, it's just got like this lighthearted tone. Nothing feels all that tense or desperate. Yeah. It's just like wander to a place, Mm -hmm. have like a little scene with some jokes and shit and then wander to another place and do it again. Yeah. There was like one, I feel like the only thing where I was like, I'm not even going to say, again, grading on a curve. I'm not going to say this was good, but at least I was like, okay, I guess this is something better than what I've already seen. But it was like the, kind of has to go through the obstacle course or whatever. Yeah, the little maze. The like maze business. I was like, all right, at least like there's some practical sets here. I was like, okay. I mean, I watched this second after Aragon, but I was like, all right, this looks like a real thing they're working on. I was like. (laughs) You know, I start thinking about the money. I was like, oh, I spent a little money here, it looks like, for this whole deal. I was, you know, I hope Marlon Wayne's dies soon. So <laughs> he does. So I was like, all right, that was good. But yeah, it's really like Sam Mills. It's no stakes. Yeah. I'm really sympathetic about anything. There's no sense of There's urgency. There's no, no urgency. Just the, the CGI is so bad. It's so cartoony and just, just terrible. I mean, when I was a kid, it looks like... Something out of like the first PlayStation One game, terrible. Mm-hmm. Like you can't take can't. There's nothing to be taken serious in this movie. Whenever I see bad CG like this, it, I always have to wonder like, how did it look at the time? Right. Because I mean, you can go back and watch something like The Matrix, which at the mm-hmm. time was like the most incredible looking thing I'd ever seen. Now you go back and look at it, and like I'm, I still have that presence of mind to be like, yes, this was like trendsetting and groundbreaking and it still looks pretty good but like it there's parts that are fake looking sure like how good like did dungeons and dragons look as amazing at the time as the matrix did or like would it have been crap at the time too i would i would say hands down no i think like anytime like even back then like i knew better than to think like anything just all computers looked lousy because I mean, even, you know, uh, Matrix was, what, 99? Completely different kind of subject material. But as far as, like, you know, what you're seeing on the screen, it was just so bad. I'm trying to think, like, what, like, big monster movies would have come out? Well. Like, the Godzilla, I mean, what even was around Species was, like, mid-90s, and that had, like, a fully CG creature in the end that looks pretty bad. Yeah, it looks real bad. I'd still say better than this. Uh, I mean, Alien 3 has questionable CG alien stuff at times, and yeah. that's like early 90s. One of many problems with Dungeons & Dragons is this, it's like the amount of screen time. They don't hold back in showing you like long, drawn-out shots of these cartoony dragons. It just does not look good. Mm-hmm. At least like someone maybe who knew better would know when to like hold back a little, so you're not showing everything when it doesn't look that great, but... I mean, how are they supposed to hold back when they literally have a battle with like hundreds of dragons in the end? I don't know. (laughs) Right? It's like one of those things. It's like when you make this kind of movie 
and you write this script, it's like how aware is someone of like how good, good or bad that's going to look? Or like when they're on set filming it, do they even have any idea what the CG is going to look like? You know, was pre-viz that much of a thing back then? I don't think it was. So yeah, I don't know. You know, that's just that's just crazy. So I can't, I can't imagine go, thinking back twenty years and anyone thought like, oh, this looks great, because I can even remember seeing like trailers and being like, that looks bad. Yeah, see, I don't have that recollection of like, there's there's things like I said, like The Matrix, where I can look at it now and I remember that back then it was like incredible, but like. I don't I don't have a recollection of even like um Dragonheart or something seeing it when I was younger and feeling like wow this is incredible like Jurassic Park is one but Jurassic Park still looks pretty good. Right. I don't I don't have like a recollection like maybe Species. Like I don't remember thinking that anything about the ending of Species looked bad when I first saw it on VHS back in the day. No, me neither. But like looking at it now yeah, the it's final pretty bits rough. Are, they're bad, bad. Yeah, the stuff up until the end is like pretty decent still. But yeah, and there is a fair amount of practical stuff. But in the yeah. end of that movie, oh, it's terrible. When the the sill is the creature is like running around in that cave, it looks pretty rough. Yeah, it's terrible. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So it's it's always a question that I would love to know the answer to, but mm. it's like there's no way to know. It's pretty much an unanswerable question. But yeah, we could certainly say now it looks like. Pretty looks lousy. like garbage. It's ugly. Looks like gutter trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the eventual budget on this, I had read that it they had a $35 million budget, but then on Wikipedia it listed as 45, so 35 to $45 million budget. Uh, movie had a worldwide box office of 33.8. Oh, so boy. either just barely made its budget back, but probably not with them. Um, when you think about 10 years getting put into production, yeah. too, you know. Yikes. It was an independent film. I think at the time it was the most expensive independent film ever made because it was produced without a studio. Well, that's something. It's just mind boggling to me that this movie even got made and that uh, if Wizards of the Coast didn't want it to happen so bad that like when they owned the rights, they couldn't somehow like stop it from happening because it really feels like from what I was reading, Wizards of the Coast did not have the faith in this guy that TSR did. But yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, there, there is one other thing I wanted to say about this one. I wanted to ask you your thoughts. Uh, the ending. So Marlon Wayne's character dies, like end of the second act kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie ends, giant battle, whatever. It feels like none of the heroes really needed to be there because Thor Birch just shows up with her gold dragon scepter and gold MacGuffin. Yeah, defeats um, Jeremy Irons. So then the movie ends, it's like uh, Justin Whalen, the lead character, uh, Ridley Freeborn, mm. he's about to be knighted and he's in like a cemetery or he's like in the woods somewhere and he's got like a little pile of rocks that he's written. Uh, Marlon Wayans' character snails on and he's got the red ruby, like this big red gem that like can control the red dragons when it's in the scepter that's now been destroyed. And, you know, Marlon Wayans was a thief and he was always the one who like wanted to steal all the stuff when they were in like a a room and Justin Whalen would be like, no, no, we don't need all that. We just need this or whatever. So he like sets the red ruby down on like the pile of rocks with Marlon Wayans' character's name written on it. And then if I'm remembering correctly, the four characters who are standing there, like the dwarf, the elf, the mage and Justin Whalen's character they like they turn into like little red 
glowy wisps and like float away and then that's the cuts to credits yeah like they kind of say like they're gonna go like meet up with snails basically like what the fuck was that i was waiting like oh well snails is gonna come back to life or something right it feels like it's building up to like oh it's so sad that he died and you know now you know i'm about i'm about to be knighted and it just felt like he was going to come back to life or we were going to see him as a force ghost or something mm, and then God. all of a sudden the four of them like turn like they're even talking about oh we have i'm going to miss my own uh knighting ceremony and then they all turn to glowy red things and fly away and the movie just ends and i yeah was sitting there like what the fuck just happened <laughs> someone says something about like going to find him or and i was like are they setting up a sequel right now Oh, I'm sure is? they were trying, but yeah. I don't remember any specific line like that. I just remember not understanding why they all turned into glowy fairies and flew away. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, I did. just another thing that felt half cocked yeah. <laughs> about this movie. Like, without a doubt. Yeah, I don't know. Not a whole lot else to say about this no. one. It's just uh like I said, the if I had to say anything good about it, I would say that that one scene where Marlon Wayans dies kind of works. And if there was any character in the movie that I actually thought was okay, it's um, Damodar, the guy with the mind flare in his head. Mm. He wasn't bad, all things considered, yeah. especially when you compare him to like Jeremy Irons as the main villain. Sure. He's just way him, too though. over the top. Yeah. There for the paycheck and probably like a day's worth of work. <laughs> yeah, mind flare guy got to do all the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Well, Milza, let's move on to Dragon with an E. <laughs> all right, from 2006, we have Aragon. I need to know, Sophia. Why me? You choose a leader for his heart, but I'm not without fear. Without fear, there cannot be courage. But when we are together, it is our enemies who should be afraid. Then are we together, Sephir? As one! I'll take that as a yes. Based on a book by a guy named Christopher Paolini, Apparently, the books are pretty popular. There's four of them, I believe. Uh, and the intention... So this was directed by a guy named Stefan Fangmeier. Of course. And the intention was that he would direct the entire like four-film adaptation of the books. But then things didn't go so well, and uh, so they canceled the three sequels. Mm. And to date, this is the only movie that Stefan Fangmeier has ever directed. Well, let me tell you, there's no surprise here. <laughs> yeah, the the biggest thing about this, and I think, I think I kind of insinuated this to you. Normally, when we're building up to doing one of these episodes, uh, you and I will save like we we won't talk about the movies really before we mm-hmm. record, just to like keep the conversation kind of fresh on the show. Sure. But I kind of insinuated to you that uh, I had watched. Aragon first and uh I wasn't sure if like there was anywhere to go but up <laughs> even considering that Dungeons and Dragons and In the Name of the King were the other two movies that I had to watch mm-hmm. and then after you watched it you texted me something about like uh 
it being the most generic movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I said, is Aragon the most generic fantasy movie ever made? Yeah. And I think that is the outstanding opinion that I have is that if you just type, if you put into a computer like elf, dwarf, dragon, fantasy, sword, magic, like a bunch of keywords like this and just hit go and a computer like mm-hmm. wrote like a fantasy story, this is what you'd end up with. There is nothing unique or interesting or cool or different about it. It is the most milk toast, middle of the road, uninteresting, uninventive fantasy film I have ever seen. I'm glad you used milk toast because I was holding on to that one to use that for the exact same reason. Pardon <laughs> me while I napalm this dog shit movie. <laughs> this movie is ugly and boring. Milk toast, perfect word. It's just like lowest common denominator, like least amount of effort dog shit crap movie it is like i couldn't believe like anytime anything shows up on screen i was like well that's just boring costuming oh look at this shit ass dragon god damn could that be any more like boring and just like lacking any bit of excitement at all this entire movie i cannot believe this movie was made like this and put out yeah and you know i obviously don't know anything about the book series but fans of the books really hated this movie because apparently it was, it changed so many things from the books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't have any concept of like what percentage of this movie actually comes from the books, but they must've changed a lot. If there's that many fans of the franchise yeah. and they disliked this so much, but it's just like, yeah, there's, I mean, it, it's, it's also dull. like hindsight is 2020, you know, Lord of the Rings had come out already and Lord of the Rings is like a quest and there's sort of like a chosen one kind of situation a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, everybody likes to joke, oh, it's a movie about walking. So it's just like a journey. That's the entire, like the extended editions is like 12 hours of going from point A to point B and all the shit that happens in between. But it's got like interesting concepts and good characters and good writing and interesting filmmaking. And this is like if you took all of the stuff that makes Lord of the Rings so good out of it and just had like the bare bones concept. Like, yeah, it's just characters going from point A to point B, generic bad guy doing generic bad things, generic good guy who you know, isn't special in any way except for the ways that they tell you he is. Right. Just like, get me the most like generic actor you can. Mm -hmm. Like just a boring, completely lacking any heart performance. Yeah. Only thing he has going for him is he looks like he could be like in a, he'd be like a good gap model. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Maybe that's, that was the criteria. (laughs) because <laughs> when you see that it's just like anything like i said like the costumes are just like it's just like entry level swords and fantasy stuff there's not like one bit of like chance is taken with the design of how people look uh that stupid dragon that feathered garbage dragon <clears throat> that you know at one point they decide we got to move this plot along so it's going to like light on fire and grow to full size after it was just a baby. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever happened there. And then all of a sudden it can it can talk to him through uh telepathy. It's just 
everything in this movie is just convenient. Um, mm-hmm. Like if they don't want the dragon to be able to breathe fire because it would be too easy to get out of a situation, they just say, oh, well, she's not old enough yet. Right. But then by the end of the film, which feels like it's four days later, the Maybe. dragon can breathe fire. Right. And yeah. like uh, the dragon, like this is a thing that, again, people criticize Lord of the Rings for. Like they spend the entire movie walking from point A to point B. And then in the end of the movie, they're saved by some giant eagles. And people are like, well, why didn't the eagles just fly them there? The movie would have been over in 20 minutes, which, you know, whatever. If you are the kind of person who's making that argument, then I don't even right. really want to get into the conversation with you. Yeah. But like in this movie, they have a dragon that can fly like with them and they're headed somewhere. And instead of like the two people getting on the dragon and flying to their destination because there's like a ticking clock on whatever they're doing, they just send the dragon out to like fly ahead and scout the area. And I, the whole time I was like, why aren't they just getting on the dragon and flying? Because like the main character's whole thing is he's a dragon rider. Mm -hmm. So he's supposed to ride the dragon. And then later on, you know, they're in a desperate situation and three people need to be on the dragon. And they're like, oh, can you handle three of us? And the dragon's like, not for long. I can't handle the weight. And I'm thinking for a dragon that big, three people who probably weigh like 200 to 250 a piece, like it can't handle that much weight. But then at the end of the movie, the dragon is like fully armored. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that armor doesn't weigh as much or more as those people. And they don't mention how it's too much weight. And there's just a ton of shit like that. Like the dragon can never do anything until they need it to be able to do it. And then all of a sudden there's like a bullshit reason that that it can. And even the fact that it telepathically communicates with the guy just feels like a, like made up nonsense shorthand. Yeah. We don't want to animate this thing talking like Dragonheart, So we'll say it's telepathy. Yeah. Like we don't want to animate it talking and we don't want to bother with like the kind of, you know, bonding and wordless relationship that a character has, like the dude and uh, how to train your dragon with toothless, mm. like, which is a much more like enriching relationship that the two of them have without any words. How to Train Your Dragon stuffs Aragorn in a locker to take lunch money. <laughs> yeah, big time, big I mean, time. For not even comparable. Yeah, it's just, like, there's part of me that wants to say everything about this movie is middle of the road, so it's almost like a nothing of a movie. Yes. But then, at the same time, it's almost like insulting how generic it is. Yes. It's, I mean, what's like worse than middle of the road? Cause I feel like this is it. I feel like this was like the least amount of effort possible Yeah, to make a quote unquote movie. Like, is it worse that Dungeons and Dragons was so bad that I'll never forget how bad it was? Or is it worse that I'll forget I ever watched Aragon because it's so well, that's the question. not even I mean, worth remembering? <laughs> I mean, I watched Aragon two days ago and I don't even really remember what the plot is. Jeremy Irons <laughs> is in there trying his yeah. best. <laughs> Jeremy Irons again. <laughs> Shout out to Jeremy Irons. I was like, will they just finally just say he's Dragon Rider already because he's got two hands. One of them's wrapped up completely and the other one is only covering his palm where the dragon rider tattoo goes. I was like, well, they just get <laughs> on with it already. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, how else would he know all this stuff? Because he's the one who follows the main character around and tells him all the things he needs to know about a dragon. Yeah. And how it works. I mean, John Malkovich is in there for 45 seconds of screen time. Yeah. John Malkovich is supposed to be the big bad guy. But, you know, similar to Dungeons and Dragons, like Jeremy Irons is Mm -hmm. the main villain in that one. And then that Damodar guy is, like, the real villain who's in, like, 80% of the movie. This similar thing where there's, uh, like a second in command kind of bad guy named Durza played by Robert Carlyle from train spotting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he isn't not even in the movie that much. They send out like other minion creatures and things to chase down the main characters. But John Malkovich straight up is in this movie for four minutes. Is he even that long? I mean, that's being generous, but yeah, yeah he's, he's in it for not much at all. No. Like, just enough to be able to claim that he's in the movie. Right. Put him on the poster. He's barely in the thing. And it's a kind of thing where, like, if they had gotten to make the other three movies, would he have been, like, a bigger character in the later films as, like, the main bad guy or what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, because I did read something by Guess. I think in the books, it's Jeremy Irons is Aragon's father. Yeah, which, but they never yeah. touched on it because they, they never... didn't make it that far. Right, which is even like kind of lame because then it just makes him, uh, you know, it seems like he gets the egg by chance, but I guess maybe he's more of a chosen one thing again. Who knows? Yeah. Does it even matter? No. That's the thing. I mean, the movie begins, I mean, so I guess the the basic concept behind this movie is that, you know, there used to be dragon riders and they were like good guys who protected people and rode their dragons around. And then one of them turned against all the others and there was like this giant dragon war and then all of the dragons were killed. And so there's no dragons anymore. And then uh, <laughs> John Malkovich as the main bad guy. He has this stone. It's like an ovular blue stone as though anybody wouldn't have guessed it was a dragon egg. But he refers to it as a stone. And it gets stolen. And the girl who stole it is being attacked in the forest. And so... She says like a chant and the the stone disappears and it just appears in front of our main character. Like mm-hmm. it feels like complete fucking chance that he ends up with it. But then, yeah, like you said, if it turns out he was meant to have it, like how, why and how did it end up at him? And right. More poor, poor planning. Yeah. <laughs> There's a line. I love how stupid it is at the beginning of the movie where uh, John Malkovich's stone disappears and he looks at his, like main henchman guy. And he says something like, uh, uh, I suffer without my stone. Don't prolong my suffering. or Something <laughs> like that. I'm like, fuck you. I suffer without my stone. <laughs> fuck you. <he's> a... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there just could be, I don't even know. I don't have enough of the vocabulary just to say like how boring and plain and dull <laughs> yeah. this movie is. There's also this layer of, so, Humans can use magic, but like magic comes from dragons. So if you're a dragon rider, uh, you can learn to use magic to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a couple things that bother me about this. And this falls into that like Harry Potter territory. I don't know if we've ever really talked about it on this show, but I've ranted about this on Sidetracked in the past with Jesse because he likes the Harry Potter movies. That I've never understood how the magic works in Harry Potter, and that bothers me because the whole fucking movie is about magic. 
where like sometimes the characters have to say Expelliarmus or whatever to make a magic, <laughs> like make it work. But then other times they're just running through the forest, like whipping their wands and shooting laser bolts. And it's like, do you have to say the words? Do you not? Etc. And so in this, I don't know why you have to use elven words. Like are the dragons somehow related to the elves? But they say that you have to know the elvish word for something and then like you can use the magic. And so there's a part after the kid, after Aragon first uses magic by accident, like he's riding his dragon and almost as though it's like instinct, he says a word he's never said or heard before mm-hmm. and like shoots a fireball or something. And then after the fact, Brom, the Jeremy Irons character who hasn't been revealed as a dragon rider yet, but knows everything about dragons tells him like, yes, that word that you said is the word for fire. And it's like, how did he know that word to say it and use fire like a fireball in that instance? I guess, again, this is supposed to tie into the fact that he like is a chosen one, even though we don't know that because we've, we, we never got to find out that Brahm is his father since they didn't make it that far in the franchise. But even so, like he just knows the Elvish word, like out of nothing because it's like ingrained in him. I don't, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) they, uh, when he finds out that, Oh, all I need to do is no elvish words to do magic. He starts asking Brom different words in magic. And did you notice he only asks like three words? He asks like, what's the word for tree? And what's the word for branch? And then of course, later in the movie, he uses those exact words to like make limbs attack people. And it's like, just feels so cheap and bullshit that he only asks for three words and then those are the three that he needs later and it's like back to like it being like things being like insulting to me when that happens and you're like okay that's gonna come up later it's like to the writers and directors and everyone involved like do they not expect people to notice that (laughs) yeah like i was thinking if if you knew that you could say a word and it would it would make magic happen if you were to ask only for three words i feel like in addition to fire, mine would be like, what's the Elvish word for lightning? What's the yeah. Elvish word for like? You're not going to say branch. No one's going to say branch. Yeah. Like why branch and tree? <laughs> it's just not happening. It's just yeah. not happening. What's the Elvish word for spontaneous combustion? Like these yeah. are the things I'd want to know. What's the, what's the Elvish word for force field? Like that's the kind of shit yeah. that I would ask. I don't know. So, I mean, story's garbage. This, you know, six years later for since Dungeons and Dragons and this is just like feels like one of the worst times for like CG when people thought it looked great but it still didn't because there's like so many like ugly shots of like CGI in this that just feel like like cutting corners and it's just like extreme close-ups of like the two of them like on the dragons but then like you can kind of see the backgrounds are just like all muddy jumbled mess Mm -hmm. you know it's just so much junk. The design of the dragon isn't interesting, but the dragon for the most part looks okay. Like sure. considering this came out like five years, six years after uh Dungeons and Dragons, they made some right. leaps. They in that certainly department. did. They they in their minds, I'm sure they they put the time and effort in where they needed to. But even like the final battle, there's just so much ugly CG in the that they try to use as like a band-aid, it feels like. Mm-hmm. I mean, the be- the dragon design is probably, like, I'd say, easily like my least favorite dragon design I've probably ever seen. <laughs> yeah. But yes, as far as like CG, like 
actual making of it. It's not horrible, but mm-hmm. uh, something else just popped into my head. Another instance of that, like just horrible foreshadowing in the writing. Mm. Like when the kids first learning to ride the dragon, I don't, I don't know why, but they, the dragon tells him like, yeah, when you're an experienced rider, you can even like pilot me from my tail. And the kid's like, okay, let me try it. And he turns around like he's going to climb back to the tail. And I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody ride a dragon's tail? Uh-huh. Instead of like on their back. And then of course it's because at the end of the movie they do like a sneak attack where he's on the tail and the, the, the dragon yeah. like flings him at the enemy. Just another fucking stupid thing where when it happened I rolled my goddamn eyes yeah. at it. But yeah. To the design of the dragon, it was originally going to be bat like without feathers or scales, but uh cowards. <laughs> the decision was made to add feathers slash scales after the producers saw Angel's Wings in X-Men 3. Jesus. (laughs) And another connection to X-Men 3, uh, both Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart turned down the role that uh, Jeremy Irons played because they both were committed to filming X-Men 3 at the time. I mean, there's just so much to unpack with that whole thing. (laughs) I just think it's funny that there's two links to the third shitty X-Men movie. Yeah, I'm just going to say... I'm putting the blame on Stefan Fangmeier because he's got the top billing or for besides actors here. Uh, he maybe just has horrible, horrible taste. Well, Stefan Fangmeier, as I mentioned, this is the only movie he ever directed. <clears throat> what he's actually known for is doing visual effects for the likes of Terminator 2, Hook, The Mask, Jurassic Park, Casper, Twister, Speed 2, Small Soldiers, Saving Private Ryan, Galaxy Quest, The Perfect Storm, The Born Identity, Signs, Master and Commander, Wanted, and Game of Thrones. So, like, he's talented in his chosen field. Maybe. I mean, we don't know what he's doing. But, but then as a director... Yeah. Is he a decision maker? You know, is he just, like, animating something that looks cool that someone else came up with? For the Maybe. majority of those movies, he was listed as visual effects supervisor, but... Just, you know, visual effects, Mm. computer effects in general. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he wasn't a part of that department. Like, obviously, he'd be a decision maker on this film. But, I mean, his main thing was directing. And I think it just goes to show that uh, despite the fact he'd worked on all those other movies, he just didn't have a knack for, like, standing out in the visual storytelling department. Totally. I mean, this movie coming after... Like, just a couple years after Lord of the Rings, feels like it's just playing out of the uh, Lord of the Rings playbook with, like, characters riding horses on, like, a beautiful mountaintop while the camera operator's in a helicopter just, like, circling around them. And, like, there's definite things in this movie that feel like, yeah, this is just they're reading the, uh, Mm -hmm. the cliff notes of Lord of the Rings and trying it themselves. And maybe bought, like, the discount costumes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah leftovers so the main character in this is played by ed spielers who isn't in a ton of stuff he's in the second alice in wonderland movie from tim burton he, and he's on uh downton abbey they originally offered the role to alex pettifer who was the main character in that other forgettable uh ya novel adaptation i am number four where he played like an alien or something oh, brutal but he turned this movie down because it was filming in Bulgaria and he's afraid of flying. Okay. I mean, right, you can decide away. for yourself if that was a good decision or not. I mean, I don't know if a great actor is saving Aragon anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, for so. sure. I feel like it was a wash because he's been in a couple of things like that 
Justin Timberlake sci-fi movie in time, but like Alex Pettifer, who the hell is this guy, you know, like, mm-hmm. but then same thing with Ed Spielers. Who the hell is that guy? <laughs> yeah. Just like a pretty face. Yeah. The female lead, the elf princess was played by Sienna Guillory, who I didn't know who the hell she is. Uh, she plays Jill Valentine in all the Resident Evil movies. All right. Emily Blunt was up for her role, and they passed on her. I guess she wasn't quite a name yet. She hadn't done The Devil Wears Prada yet. Good for her. And interesting thing about this one, uh, was it just last episode? We talked about, um, uh, was it End of Days was the last movie released on? Yeah, Laserdisc. Laserdisc? Mm-hmm. Aragon is the last major film to be released on VHS in the United States. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Look at us. <laughs> it's a weird coincidence. Yeah. $100 million budget. Ugh. Box office of 250.4 worldwide. I mean, no slouch. Yeah, it's not incredible, but I guess the studio wanted more, and so they canned the plans for the three sequels. That's actually inter- that's kind of mystifying actually that seems yeah. like a, a significant return yeah i mean if it was 100 million i don't know if that's with or without advertising if it's without it was probably closer to 130 million so even still they just about doubled that yeah but i guess double wasn't enough because they were probably looking at other big franchises like the spider-man movies and the matrix yeah. movies and lord of the rings at the time were like raking in the money and 250 mil probably didn't seem like that much in comparison to the other franchises at the time. Oh, like even just the reviews, the reviews must have been real bad to think like take our money and cut our losses or or, or cut out with a profit while we can. Yeah, I actually have a note written here. Early plans were made for Stefan Fangmeyer to direct the other three books in the series as well, but negative reviews by both fans and critics killed the franchise. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. More than the money. For once, it wasn't about the money, Milsey. <laughs> yeah. Surprising. Like, like I mm-hmm. said, I'm with you. When I saw 250, I was like, oh, I'm a little surprised they didn't do another one. But Yeah, totally. We haven't mentioned yet that poor Rachel Wise is the voice of Sephira. Mm. I mean, oh. prob- the dragon, probably the in, like the easiest gig she ever had. But Sure. Doing someone a favor. Yeah, she's way better than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, Garrett Headland, I saw his name in the opening credits. And I was like, oh, is he the main character? And then I was like, no, that's not him. And I kept waiting for him to show up. Finally, he pops up in like the third act out of the blue as the son of the villain who is like teaming up with the good guys. Right. I imagine that's another instance of a character who probably would have become a bigger deal in the the sequels. Mm. But thankfully, there's none of those. Yeah. Brutal. Just a brutal watch. I watched this first and I was like, I'm in trouble. So did I, because it's available on Disney Plus, and I was just like, oh, I'll just pop this on real quick, and mm-hmm. uh, not uh, not very impressive. No, no, sir. Oh, for two. <laughs> All right, can we? Can Uwe Boll pull us out of the fire? Let's see. From 2007, our third film is In the Name of the King: A Dungeon Siege Tale. Krug, savage armed Krug. They killed off our entire scouting party. Sacrilege. I believe it was Galleon. He has fallen into madness. Your king needs you. In my world, the king's arm is expected to protect the kingdom, not just the castle. 
The king has been poisoned. Galleon is raising armies. Vast armies. Those who you fight, we will help you fight them. A small force might slip through them and solve the problem at its source. King called upon you to face death. Tonight we dress our wounds, bury our dead. Tomorrow we gouge evil from its shell. Was this based on a video game? Uh, yes, Dungeon Siege is an RPG-style video game series. Okay. I mean, that's what Uwe Boll is known for. He's mm-hmm. directed House of the Dead, which was a video game. With real video game footage. <laughs> right. <laughs> he has directed Alone in the Dark 1 and 2 video games. Uh, Blood Rain 1 through 3 video Ugh. game movies. Postal was a video game. Far Cry was a video game. And then Dungeon Siege. So that's his thing. I don't know why, like, Uwe Boll, his name is just synonymous. Like, if you know his name, then, like, he's just known as, like, a shitty director who makes shitty, disappointing movies based on franchises. Like, why would video game companies keep saying, like, yeah, sure, we'll let you make our movie? Seriously. Like, that's almost, it's almost more mind-blowing to me that the people who own the rights to Far Cry after he had made House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain, and Postal, and this, it's almost more amazing to me that they let him direct Far Cry than it is that TSR let some 20-year-old have the rights to Dungeons & Dragons. Like, <laughs> Kind of. Unless he's like paying them for the rights. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how that works. So I I read a bunch about Uwe Boll, and I never quite could wrap my head around his filmmaking like style, but apparently all of his movies were, or like the majority of his movies up until a certain point in his career, like maybe up until Dungeon Siege, were um, independently financed by him. Mm. I couldn't fully wrap my head around it, but I read a little bit about how like there's some kind of, there was some kind of tax shelter in Germany where he's from. And so he could get like money from the government. And then I guess he had like independent financiers in Germany who would give him money to make his movies. And so like similar to the Dungeons and Dragons situation, he didn't have like a big studio attached. He would like get the funding, say to a company like, hey, I've got this money to make a movie. They'd give him the rights. He'd make the movie and then potentially have it distributed by like a bigger studio. Mm. So he'd like show up with the money. Yeah, but, like, how he kept getting the money after all the flops, I don't understand. Because, like, every movie he's ever made has lost money for the most part, based on what I was reading. Mm. Um, I mean, Dungeon Siege. This was, this to date uh, is his biggest budget he's ever had, because I think this was actually a studio film, uh, was $60 million. Oh. The box office return for this movie worldwide was $13.1 million. Jesus. In its opening weekend, this movie did not top, didn't crack the top 10 in the U.S. Of course not. And let me just say, these aren't all like premium A-list talent, but this knocked my goddamn socks off because I knew Jason Statham was in this movie. But listen to this lineup of recognizable names that people know who are in this movie. 
Jason Statham, Lily Sobieski, again, not a huge name, but like people know that name. John Reese Davies from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Lord of the Rings, Ron fucking Perlman, Clara Forlani, Kristana Loken, not everybody knows who she is. She's from Terminator 3. Mm-hmm. Matthew Lillard making another appearance mm. on our show. Ray Liotta is the bad guy. <laughs> and Burt fucking Reynolds is the king in this movie. Burt Reynolds. How? Ron Perlman, Burt Reynolds, Ray Liotta, Jason Statham, John Reese davies Like, how did they all end up in this movie? It's like they had to have thrown money at them. I don't understand why else. It doesn't make sense. It does this nothing about this movie makes sense. Nothing. It's a complete mystery to me. I mean, basic premise behind this movie is like bad guy wants to take over the kingdom. He has these monsters called Krugs, which are essentially just orcs like Lord of the Rings. Power and Rangers. Yeah, yeah, level. they looked pretty bad. Like yeah. I was thinking to myself watching the movie like the costumes don't look that bad. But I think the big difference between something like this and Lord of the Rings is you watch those special features on Lord of the Rings and they bring in like a movement coach to teach people how to walk like in costume and not look human. Mm -hmm. And I think they just didn't do that for this movie. So everyone's tromping around and it looks like they're all wearing really fancy Halloween costumes. Yeah. Like there's when there's like one opening, like the opening battle at the, the like the causes the whole thing to go down. And it, I was like, this looks like an episode of Power Rangers. Yeah. I mean, it's also not shot very well. Because That's what I mean. It's all Uwe crazy. Bull. I mean, Uwe Boll loves a Dutch angle, Millsy. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, I feel like in a lot of cases, not all cases, because you got to make a space for guys like Sam Raimi uh, who have that style. But I feel like crazy angles and like wild cutting mm-hmm. is just a way for somebody who's not very talented to try and hide it. But at some point, the more stylized you get, the more shitty it looks because you like flashy stuff like that is synonymous with people who are no good. Mm -hmm. And it takes someone like Guy Ritchie or Sam Raimi to like do it right and impress you. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So bad guy has this army of creatures and he wants to take over the land. He's kind of using Matthew Lillard, who is the, nephew of the king and is next in line to become the king. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Jason Statham is a character who they just call farmer because he's a farmer. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I love that. (laughs) You know, I love that. (laughs) His family, his wife and his, well, his wife is kidnapped. His son is killed by these creatures. And so even though he doesn't want to be a soldier, he, is like the best fucking fighter anybody's ever seen with a sword. And he joins up with the cause going after his wife. And then we of course find out that he has secretly all along been the heir to the King. And I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really all there is to it. It's a very underwhelming story. Totally. There's at least two, if not three, like long drawn out battle scenes. Mm -hmm. Initial one I talked about with a, Power Ranger baddies first show up. Then there's like two different scenes in the woods. Yep. That like go on for like a long time. I think at one point I looked at my watch. I was like, I feel like they've been in this forest fighting for 20 minutes. Yeah. So this movie is just shy of two hours long, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And according to Uwe Boll, 
there's like a three and a half hour version of this movie that he wanted to release, but never has been released. Woof. Uh, there is a Blu-ray that has an extended cut of the movie, but I don't think, I, I think it's only like two and a half hours. But one, at one point, Uwe Boll considered or like wanted to release uh, two films. He wanted to split this movie into two parts like Kill Bill mm-hmm. because it was so long, his original version. Did. It's just senseless junk, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's completely uninspired story. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not super visually appealing. The one thing that this one does kind of have going for it to a degree is a decent cast. For sure. I mean, after watching, because this was the last one I watched, after watching Aragon and Dungeons and Dragons, where you get like some Jeremy Irons, a taste of John Malkovich, and like Marlon Wayans. I mean, Jason Statham isn't the best actor in the world, but I mean, he's made to play these like strong silent types who fight people. Yeah, he fits. Ron Perlman is always a welcome addition to anything. Mm -hmm. And he's actually charismatic and likable in this. Yeah. Burt Reynolds, it feels like he (laughs) wasn't really putting in his all, but I mean, it's Burt Reynolds. He has some like, you know, presence to him. This is like late stage Matthew Lillard. So... But he, they still have him playing kind of like the bratty teenager kind of character. Oh, yeah. Always. He's pretty good. I mean, com- I think it's like a comparative thing, mm-hmm. grading on a curve again, where it's like he's up against, I mean, people who would be in an Uwe Boll movie. Right. But he's pretty good. Like, he was a effective villain who I didn't like, you know. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't say he's like not putting in any effort. Yeah. He's doing his, he's doing his part. Yeah, I liked him. John Reese davies isn't in a bunch, but I mean, John Reese davies is John Reese davies Yeah. Lily Sobieski wasn't great, but I thought Claire Forlani was pretty good yeah. as yeah. the kidnapped wife. Mm-hmm. And then Ray Liotta is just having the fucking time of his life. I mean, Ray, Ray Liotta, when you watch this movie, I was like, I think he's been waiting to play an evil wizard his whole life. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't say he's not entertaining to watch in this. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you even first see him i was like i was like ray liotta looks like he just stepped off of the you know the production of goodfellas same hair (laughs) same everything i think he's basically playing henry hill from goodfellas but as an evil wizard (laughs) yeah he's another one like jeremy irons in dungeons and dragons where it looks like he's just a normal guy that they threw a costume on yeah give him a robe yeah i'm shoot lightning bolts later but yeah i mean he was entertaining to watch and i think like, it's mind-blowing to me that they managed to get that many name actors in an mm-hmm. Uwe Boll movie. But, I mean, if anything saves this movie, it's the combined efforts of all of those people. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, it's it's generic. It's pretty cheap-looking. Certainly. But, I mean, the script isn't great, but there's people trying yeah. Their best. I mean, I <laughs> the material. It, you kind of set up, but like I, I like. See, this is a movie where it's Jason playing. Jason Statham is playing Jason Statham. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Works for me. Team him up with Ron Perlman. I'm there. Yeah. You know, there's far worse decisions that could be made than those two together in this movie. Mm-hmm. Which is even wild to say. <laughs> well, it's funny that like so it's Jason Statham. It's. Uh... It's Ron Perlman. And then there's the third character, Jason Statham's brother-in-law character in the movie. Right. Who runs around with them. And I didn't recognize him. And I was like, oh, 
well, two thirds of this little fellowship that they form is like pretty good. Who's this third guy? And I looked him up. His name is Will Sanderson. Mm-hmm. And like his credits are, he's basically in every Uwe Boll movie. Oh. <laughs> so he's right. friends with Uwe Boll and that's how he ended up as like one of the, the trio that runs around. I mean, it's unreal. He's not great, but he's not terrible. No. I mean, he is working off of Ron Perlman most of the time. So that's yeah. good. I mean, surprisingly enough, for a hot garbage movie, like you said, there's people we know and love that are putting in their all. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff that like doesn't make sense. And it's it's another movie like Aragon where it just feels like in the days following Lord of the Rings, these lower budget fantasy movies just take the Lord of the Rings, strip away all the like gorgeous production value and like inherent backstory and like great characterizations and just kind of, you know, pour some dull white gruel on the screen. So it's like, yep, it's bland and generic, but it's a formula that we're familiar with. But yeah, the thing that this has that Aragon doesn't is a decent cast. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some like big set pieces of action. Not that it's great. And he shoots it weird and, yeah. Uve Bull, like, he loves a, a a worm's eye view, you know? Yeah, just anything to be, like, weird and, yeah. and different and hide the Everywhere. Uh, the costumes. I mean, at one point, I, I, Millsy, I threw my hands up in the air. But I was just like, whatever. I mean, there's ninjas in this movie. Yeah. The king's, like, personal guard are ninjas. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. I was like, all right, so there's ninjas here now. Well, I mean, Jason Statham punches a horse in the throat. At one point, I mean, it's just these battles are ridiculous. It's like they're they're running through the woods and then all of a sudden these just women who look like normal women just like come down out of the trees on like living vines. Yeah, Cirque du Soleil. And it's like they move around the forest without ever touching the ground, but they're not like swinging from vine to vine. No. They're just hanging from a vine around their waist and then the vine like drags them around the jungle it's like there's an intricate system of like uh, rails up in the treetops and the vines just move along the rails or something. Uh, I didn't even know what to call them. Uh, when I was reading online, they're called uh, wood nymphs. Oh, okay. But like, you know, there's the Krug creatures. There's no like dragons or anything in this movie. So you basically, the fantasy characters you have are women who hang from vines and knock off orcs. Yes. And Ray Liotta. <laughs> and Ray Liotta. This is the one where at the end, John Reese Davies and Ray Liotta have like a magician fight where they are just <laughs> yes. standing on opposite sides of the room and controlling a bunch of swords that are flying around and like fighting with one another. Mm-hmm. Which could be like good in a good movie. Could be like kind of cool in a good movie. Yeah, potentially. It's like the swords are fighting while they're just standing on either side of the room, like pontificating to one another. Mm-hmm. But then... Uh, like a weird lapse in logic to me is like John Reese Davies gets killed. And then in like the next scene, Jason Statham gets into a sword fight with Ray Liotta and Ray Liotta just showed in the previous scene that he can control like 10 knives, 10 swords at a time, but he literally just holds a sword and fights Jason Statham. I'm like, why doesn't he just control all these swords and fight Jason Statham that way? It's not what Uwe wanted. Then he like makes books come to life and like like pins them to the ground with books and I mean the book the book maelstrom goes out of control 
at the yeah. very end. I mean, it's basically a book tornado versus Jason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think, you know, Aragon, I didn't know anything about it going in dungeons and dragons. I'd heard bad things in the name of the King. You know, I went in knowing it was an Uwe Boll movie, so I was expecting it to be terrible. And I mean, I, the only Uwe Boll movies I've seen before are House of the Dead and one of his independent films, A Mucklof, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I fucking hated. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think it's one of the most garbage pieces of shit movies I've ever seen. Okay. I I watched it because um, it was like one of his early films. And I was like, oh, maybe like a non-video game adaptation when he was younger and had something to say. But it's just fucking awful. All right. Uh, It's about a guy who's like a serial killer or something. And he just sits in his apartment like jerking off to game shows all day with like dead bodies. or It's just fucking terrible. But um, yeah, so I went into this like, well, here we go. Here's the Uwe Boll movie. But uh. I mean, it's not like I was impressed by it, but I was, uh, I wasn't overwhelmed. I wasn't underwhelmed. As they say on the internet these days, I was whelmed. Mm. I mean, it's still lousy. Yeah. It's still not a good movie. But after watching the other two, I was like, I can actually like, I can find quote unquote enjoyment in this one. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a funny way. I mean, it's a shame that it had to be two hours long. (laughs) I mean, they're all too long, but but uh, yeah. so if you found that you were able to find things to like about this movie, how interested are you in watching the two sequels? Not even a little. <laughs> it's just wild to me that uh, this movie performs so poorly. As we said, sixty million dollar budget, box office return of thirteen point one million, but still, Uwe Boll managed to find the funding for and make two sequels. And he did the other two. Yes. Yikes. So this movie, as we talked about, is like takes place in medieval times and, you know, there's fantasy elements and whatever to it. But it's a period piece film in the name of the King Two, two worlds, which stars Dolph Lundgren. Oh, boy. That movie is about a modern day special forces soldier who is sent back in time through a portal to fulfill a quest uh, or to go on a quest to fulfill an ancient prophecy. So it's about a modern day soldier played by Dolph Lundgren who goes back in time to the kingdom of Ebb from this movie. Like that's a weird decision. Yep. Uh, and then the third movie in the name of the King three, the last mission starring Dominic Purcell, pretty much the same exact premise as the second one, except instead of a soldier, it's a modern day assassin goes back in time to quote unquote, bring back order to a kingdom in chaos. What the hell, people? Yeah, just like bringing modern day and time travel and shit into uh, this franchise. You just you just can't help it. Super weird. I mean, somebody's gonna keep giving them money, Melzy. I guess. Unreal. I ca- I just can't believe that people keep giving him money, even if people don't look at his movies and think, "Oh, he's a shitty filmmaker." Like, look at his record of box office returns. I mean, maybe there's just other people that are like okay with him wanting to beat up journalists, and they're like. They still like him. I don't know. I do not know. But again, like, even if you like the guy, he's going to lose your money. <laughs> like, if you invest in him. Because he's, I don't think he's ever had a profitable film. Maybe they could do, they do good on VOD. Well, I can say that uh, this movie, In the Name of the King, made more on DVD and Blu-ray sales than it, uh, in, than it did in the worldwide box office. Okay, okay. It sold like... Uh, 
I, I forget. It was like a, it was a pretty big number, but it's probably a case of like, this is a movie that a lot of people didn't even know ever came out in theaters. And then they're in Walmart and they say, oh, look, here's a movie with Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. I'll buy this exactly. for like exactly fourteen ninety nine at Walmart. That's the way they do. You know, it's probably on the shelf next to six uh, bullshit, never heard of it, direct-to-video Bruce Willis movies. So Totally. This is what you get. Yeah. Man. Uh, here's a funny thing Hit it. that I forgot about until I was reading about this movie way back when we did uh, the our dark comedy episode with uh, mm-hmm. comedians in like dark and serious roles. I remember telling this anecdote and it's funny that now we're seeing it from the other side on that show. I talked about how Uwe Boll is a big fan of Kevin Costner and asked Kevin Costner to star in the lead role in this movie that mm-hmm. Jason Statham ended up playing. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner turned him down, but then offered Uwe Boll the job of directing Mr. Brooks, which is the movie he was making at the time. What? Yeah. And Uwe Boll turned that down because he wanted to make Dungeon Siege. (laughs) That's amazing. So we've now discussed both movies that tie into that little trivia tidbit. Look at us. Yeah. I was reading through the, the, uh, the Wikipedia trivia and I saw that and I was like, that sounds super familiar. Oh yeah. We reviewed Mr. Brooks. Small world, Millsy. And the, uh, the last bit of trivia I have about this one is that, uh, Jessica Alba and Jessica Biel both turned down the role that eventually went to Claire Forlani, Mm. which surprises me because not that Claire Forlani is like that much better than those two, but this totally seems like the kind of movie that Jessica Alba would be in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Have you ever seen an Uwe Boll movie before? Did we mention that? Yeah. I've seen House of the Dead. I remember I was saying he's got like some other like mass shooting movie. But he has a couple of those. Yeah. I saw like one of those randomly. I can't, couldn't tell you. Did you say it was Rampage? Mm, that sounds right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I couldn't, I feel like that was just like a scrolling through TV and I was like, oh, what's this? And then regretting that decision. <laughs> let's, let's talk some posters. All right. Well, let's do it. Can the posters be better than the movies? I'd like to think so. Hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. This is no game. This is orange. <laughs> yes. This is a sepia poster if I've ever seen one. Mm-hmm. It's your standard Photoshop job. Yeah, montage My problem here would be it's too, uh, like, because, you know, I like a good montage. Sure. It's too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Symmetrical. Um, symmetrical, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big head at the top on one side, big head at the top on the other side. Medium size on one side, medium on the other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's not enough variety. It's 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 not like a classic Drew Struz and Indiana Jones montage where it's like a little scene down here and then like a character over here right. and a big head up there. Right. It's like just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven main characters in either a waist up shot or just a, a head shot. Mm-hmm. And then a dragon in the middle. Yep. Just dull. Yeah, I mean, I've seen worse, but uh, this is just... It's just, it's very on brand with the movie itself. For sure. Man, doesn't doesn't Thor Birch, even in that shot in the middle, just remind you of the uh, the childlike princess? from big time. That's all I can think of when I look at her. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I can't believe she filmed this after American Beauty. She looks so young in this. Doesn't make sense. (sighs) Then we have uh, Aragon. So blue. So blue. 
again, five actors. Mm-hmm. No emotion on any a single face here. As darkness falls, the last dragon will choose its rider. Nothing special about that tagline. I don't, I don't think it did. I don't know. Did she, did she get to choose Milzy? I don't think so. It is funny that John Malkovich is on this poster, considering. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's like not in the movie at all. Again, this this is just like designed by committee. I mean, it looks like all the like Twilight posters 100%. and shit from the time. Hundred percent. So, yep. I mean, I guess this is what they needed to sell their movie to the young adults. I, mean, I guess you could say that. And uh, in the name of the king, Dungeon Siege Tale. This is just uh... <laughs> another Photoshop job. Another just like oddly made decisions on how to chop up the action. Like, did this really need a sword to cut down the middle to chop up everything? Yeah, because there's, correct me if I'm wrong, there's not like a no, noteworthy no, like sword, sword. No. at the center of the plot or anything. This is no just sword. a random sword. Mm-hmm. I mean, he must have like made a, a promise to Christina Loken to put her on here twice. Yeah, she's right? on here twice. That's what I was about to ask. Yeah. <laughs> like, why isn't the, the shot of her down at the bottom under Jason Statham's chin, why isn't that Claire Forlani? Sure. Why is no no Ray Liotta, no Pearlman? I'll tell you, considering that this is an Uwe Boll movie, I'm amazed that they didn't put... I'm amazed this doesn't look more like the Dungeons & Dragons poster with every name actor that mm. people might recognize <laughs> on here. There's a lot of lost potential here without like Ron Perlman and Burt Reynolds yeah. and Matthew Lillard on this poster. I feel like someone said like Statham was enough, even though they <laughs> still had the, the biggest uh, bit of real estate's a sword. Put that on a shirt. Statham is enough. <laughs> it's true. Let me write, let me write that down for the sticker. <laughs> Triple threat merch. This is a little bit closer to that Struzan style where it's like different sized heads and people. And then there's like yeah, little scenes vignettes and, of yeah. scenes. But just a, a terrible, terrible composition. Yeah. Did we say also very blue? Very blue. No, we didn't. Very blue. Rise and fight, Millsy. Rise and fight. Rise and fight. Yikes. That is a completely worthless, pointless uh, tagline mm-hmm. for this poster. It means yeah. nothing. Meaningless junk. See, I don't think any of these are the worst mm. poster I've ever seen, but they're all... Break it down for the people. All below average. Uh, <laughs> gosh. I guess uh, Dungeons & Dragons is going to get uh, two... Two uh, rubies, the gold one and the mm. uh, the red one that okay. control the dragons. That's rich. Aragon is going to get uh, two stones that John Malkovich suffers without. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the name of the king is going to get uh, two swords magically floating around and being controlled mm. by Ray Liotta as he laughs maniacally. Oh, man, like a, a crazy person. Maniacal laugh at this. Yeah, I mean, would you agree, like, we've seen worse, but, like, these are all below average. For sure. Without doubt. We have seen worse. Like, if I had to pick one right now, definitely not Aragon. I guess the Dungeons and Dragons one. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, is it better than In the Name of the King? Is it worse? Oh, that just sounds so bad. Well, the good thing is I don't have to pick. Well, there you so. go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right here um, we go here we go by borrow burn time by borrow burn time so you're uh you're you you know exactly what you're doing oh yeah 
you want to give it to us or shall I go? I'll go ahead. Uh, probably no surprise. With the, the quickness Aragon is thrown to the sun. <laughs> Burn. Please, quickly. Is just, like you said, milk toast is the perfect description of this movie. Bland, tasteless junk. <laughs> going to borrow something, Millsy. I'm going to buy something. I mean, while neither of these movies I could see myself watching again under any circumstances, um, I got to pick one. And for, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise, but for all its missteps, I mean, I chuckled for maybe wrong reasons at In the Name of the King, The Dungeon Siege Tale. That's going to be my buy. Yeah. As I finished watching these movies, I was beside myself with the realization that, uh, I was going to buy a an Uwe Boll movie. Wild. Because I'm right there with you as my buy mm-hmm. is in the name of the king. And I was thinking to myself, like, Uwe Boll is Uwe Boll, but if Dax doesn't pick this movie out of this trio, I was like, I don't know if I can trust his judgment anymore. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's not the best of these three movies. It is the least worst. Least awful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes this, what it comes down to. I mean, I don't think this is a movie you would see on Mystery Science Theater, but it would be like a Mystery Science Theater-like experience for me to watch it again. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Dungeons and Dragons gets the borrow because to me it's just not as like offensively junk as Aragon. Offensively inoffensive. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just doesn't even try. I mean, so you, you got to like, you really just got to toss one to the sun. And I already forget basically everything about Aragorn where maybe there's a bit of that watch it in cringe Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I got to tell you my buy is in the name of the King. Mm. My borrow is going to be Aragorn. Wow. My my burn is going to be Dungeons and Dragons because objectively Dungeons and Dragons is just fucking brutal. Like it's, it's actually bad. Yeah. Aragon is again by no means good. Uh-huh. But it's like it's just it rides that line down the middle so bad that it's like it's not that it's inoffensive because it is kind of offensively drab. But <laughs> like if I had to watch one of the two of them again, I at least feel like it would be easier for my mind to wander during the film during Aragon because there's like no Marlon Wayans screaming at me. Uh it's like neither of them are good, but no. like Dungeons and Dragons is like up front in your face bad. Right. And Aragon is just like, you know, it just goes by it. There's it's there's nothing to it. It's a nothing of a movie. <laughs> but at which least movie it's, is more of a which which movie is more of a nothing or I mean, Aragon is nothing. Dungeons and Dragons is something and it's something bad like. It's just, it's gross. Like all the decisions and the, the style and the look of it and the performances, like Aragon just skates by. On. See, that is like Aragon for me is all those things. So it's like just, I feel like, we're, yeah, we're just like a tick mark off on the each direction on like why we hate the, which one we hate the most. Yeah. It's, I find Dungeons and Dragons obnoxious. Like it, it annoys me. Like as I'm watching it, Aragon, it's like, I'm annoyed by how bland it is, but I don't know. It's just, 
it's not as like offensively bad mm. as 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 Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if I can actually find a way to put it into words where it'll make I mean, sense. But... Same here, because it's like I I like how you know how could I ether Dungeons and Dragons so hard? But I also did Aragon. But it's just like, I mean, could I just say I'd watch Dungeons like Dungeons and Dragons is like so bad that relief have it would give me reason to watch it to point out all the bad things where Aragon I would just be like there's the entire thing is worthless and not even worth doing that I think I think it's along the lines of what I said earlier is that uh Dungeons and Dragons is bad enough that I'll remember how bad it is but Aragon <laughs> is a movie that in a year if you ask me if I've ever seen it I'll say no cuz I don't even remember well, it's like I've great. eaten I've eaten like plenty of of pizza in my day and like most of the pizza I eat is like fine it's good pizza but it's not like super memorable mm-hmm. but then like I've had pizza that was oh, yeah. just awful like doesn't even be deserve to be called pizza and that's like Dungeons and Dragons it's like memorably bad it's like a bad memory it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth where Aragon yeah. gives you no taste <laughs> Aragon is just that one that it's like yeah I had it and then yeah. I moved on with my life, and I don't really recall it. Aragon is your tasteless pizza. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is your bad pizza. I mean, it's milk toast. It's <laughs> it's completely middle of the road, featureless, white slop. Well, I'm happy that at least we both can agree that the ridiculousness of "In the Name of the King" is both of our buys. Yeah, I mean, Ron Perlman's presence alone makes yeah. that one the best of the I, three. I, I must concur. But yeah, uh, now I just, we both have to live with the knowledge that uh, we we bought an Uwe Boll movie. Wild. You know. Who knows? Maybe someday we'll just sit down and watch it together for a I good laugh. It, but uh, I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> yes. So. We've done it again. We've done it again. <laughs> I don't know what we did, but we did it. Oof. Elsie, do we have, yeah. are the odds in our favor? I don't know. 234 potential uh, right. themes, like at least half of those have to be good movies, right? I'll tell you, like, I was probably like an hour into In the Name of the King, and I was really like, what are we doing? <laughs> this is how we're spending our time. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, what have we done? I was like, so, fingers crossed, Mills. Here we go, 234. <laughs> yep. 82, Milsey. 82. 82. Next episode. Mm. What do we got? What do we got? <laughs> oh. Next episode, oh. our theme is going to be Bri-Fi. Okay. Okay. That's how I choose to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> oh. People Makes may sense. take issue with that after they find out what it stands for. That should be enough. That should give someone enough ammo to think about it. Bri-Fi. One of these I'm... I've seen one. Very excited to rewatch. I'm sure you can guess which one it is. Yeah, I, I'm sure I know which one it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen two of the three. Looking forward to this. This should be an nice. interesting conversation. Good deal. Mosey baby. Yeah. Let's, let's cut out of this craziness. <clears throat> let's put it behind us. Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.